The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. For those of you who don't know, my name is Chris Thurton. Um, I am on staff here at the Inn. I've been around for the last couple of years, and I am so excited to be here still. Uh, Before we keep going, I have a confession to make. I'm going to be honest. If you all ever questioned how much I love you guys, how much I love this community, um, if you all ever questioned my dedication uh, to this place, uh, tonight... Let tonight be a shining beacon of, of that reality that I care about this place a lot, that I care about y'all. Um, I don't know, how many of you guys know who Lauren Hill is? Okay, that is a shockingly low amount of people that know who Lauren Hill is. If you do not know who Lauren Hill is, go home, listen to Lauren Hill, listen to the miseduc- miseducation of Lauren Hill. It's going to change your life. Incredible album. Lauren Hill is, mm, I love her. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tonight, Lauren Hill is in Seattle with, with someone else you may have heard of, Nas. Yeah. And uh, they have a concert tonight. And I'm, this summer, I saw that that concert was uh, happening, that it was happening. I got so excited. I was ready to buy my ticket. I went and saw the date. It was a Tuesday night. And I said, really, Lord? That's, that's how you're going to do me? Um, yeah. And then... I talked with Mike. Oh, Mike, Mike said last week that, that if he wasn't up here again this week, he got fired. That's not the case. He is still <laughs> on staff here at the Inn. Uh, I talked to Mike. He's like, dude, you can totally miss it. And I was like, no, I had to be gone last week. I don't want to miss two of the first three Inns. So, guys, I'm here. I love you guys. I love being here. There might be only one place I'd rather be, and that's Lauren Hill concert. But you know what? That's, you know what? We're going to make tonight incredible uh, because I believe, I believe that Jesus has an incredible word for us tonight. Uh, I believe that you are not just going to uh, be inspired or hear um, inspiration, but we're going to hear revelation that Jesus is going to speak to us tonight, that he is going to speak to me, and that as he speaks to me, he's going to speak to y'all. Um, I, I full heartedly believe that. It's going to be a fun night. Sound good? you here. Come on. Love that. Um, I asked you where you come alive. Uh, to, to, to share, uh, to answer the question of, of when you have felt the most alive in your life. I think that is an incredible question. Um, I love asking that question because I love hearing people's answers. It's, it's such a unique, it's such a unique thing. Different things bring different people alive and it's so fun to ask that question. I encourage you to add that question to your arsenal. Um, and, uh, for me, when I, have felt the most alive in my life. When I felt the most alive, it's been these experiences that envelop a great emotion in me. These things that have, have really stirred up, uh, my feelings, that really have, um, helped me engage to be present with where I'm at, where everything else in the world seemed to not matter, and I was just very much there, and my, 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 um, emotions were heightened, and it was just, it's incredible. Couple, couple stories, couple instances that I felt the most alive. Uh, my senior year of college, it was the week before Christmas. I never missed a week before Christmas with my family before, but I decided to give away my time. I hop on a plane and head to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It had been a couple months after the earthquake had hit Port-au-Prince, and I, I get there, and I get off the plane. And, and normally on these trips, they say uh, that you're not allowed to go at night because it's too dangerous, but they made an exception for us because uh, we had a timeline. We were delivering, um, you know those World Vision, like Christmas care package? This is we were delivering those, which is pretty cool. That I, I sometimes forget that I got to do that. And um, 
And I, we got to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and they told us that there's going to be a bunch of people begging for money. Don't give them any money. There's going to be a bunch of people asking uh, to carry our bags. Don't let them carry our bags. Because in Port-au-Prince, there's been such a, a uh, America has just given them so much handouts that, that has created this culture that's become dependent on other people and has not grown itself up. And so the people of Haiti right now are trying to rebuild their, their own um, stability. And so when we got there, they're like, people are going to be begging you for things. You're going to feel horrible saying no, but say no. And it was no joke. We got off the plane and I, I, I had to grab my two bags. I grabbed six, uh, not six, I grabbed four other bags. I had six bags on my back and I'm walking out the airport and I'm just turning down people left and right. And I feel like an a-hole just like, just, just, just denying people a chance to help. And then we walk out of the airport and it's nighttime and there's these chain link fences and there's this floodlight that just is hitting us and like you can't really see what's going on around us. It feels very like uh, I Am Legend or Walking Dead, something like, like no joke. It felt like it was an apocalyptic world because it, it was crazy. And there's all these sounds and smells that I'd never experienced before. Uh, there's these kids that are reaching up against the chain link fences and yelling and begging in, in, in French and Creole. And uh, I was just overwhelmed with this emotion being there and feelings that I'd never Never experienced before. And in that moment, I felt so alive. So alive. I went into that trip so selfishly. My whole life I'd wanted to go to Haiti. And I got to go to Haiti and I went into that trip so selfishly. And when I got off the plane, the Lord took away all these selfish things and was like, no, you're here and you're going to experience things you've never experienced before. You entered into the mess and you're going to come alive on this trip. It was incredible. That was a moment I felt very alive. There was another moment, uh, a little more chill. Uh, I was three years old. I don't know why that's funny. I was three years old. I was cute, I promise. I was three years old, and uh, I, li- I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Um, no Toronto people out there? Shocking. Um, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and uh, when I was three years old, the Blue Jays went to the World Series for the first time, and uh, I got to go to one of those games, and one- this is literally one of my first cognitive memories that I have, and the Jays won that World Series game that we went to, and we walked out of the stadium, and I was on my dad's shoulders, and everyone was going nuts and giving high fives and cheering and chanting, and I just remember being on my dad's shoulders and just thinking, this, this is it. Like, there's a reason that's one of my first re- memories that I have because I felt alive in that moment. It was crazy. My emotions were heightened. It was wild. Another time that I felt completely alive, uh, I was, I don't even remember how old I was. I I was a weird kid. Um, I went through a phase where I wouldn't sleep in my own bed and I would find random places around the house to sleep. (laughs) And, uh, Last and uh, last week was Canadian Thanksgiving, so it was around that time, uh, and I was sleeping under the dining room table. <laughs> Don't know why. It seemed right. Um, it's closer to the food, uh, and and this is incredible. I I woke up to this. Um, I woke up to this screeching scream from my mom, and she collapsed on. I just I remember this so vividly. I was underneath the table. And she collapsed on the ground right in front of me and just started screaming and wailing and banging on the ground. And I remember just being so confused and so nervous and so scared, but I was also so alive. There's a reason that that stuck with me. I I was alive in that moment. I didn't know what was going on. I was fearful. I was scared. It wasn't good, anything that was happening. But, But I was alive in that moment. And what we found out is that is that one of our good friends, their son had died in a car accident that morning. And, and, and 
is that we actually share the same name. Uh, we, were, we were close. And it was so crazy that in that moment of my mom's incredible grief and anguish, I felt alive in that, in that moment. I, I don't know what, how to explain that to you, but that is a moment that I felt alive. Another moment that I felt very alive in um, was after uh, I had gone to see my, my girlfriend at the time and we were hanging out and uh, then we started having a conversation. I felt the conversation taking a turn and she ended up breaking up with me that night. And I remember driving home and just being angry and yelling and cussing and praying all at the same time. Have you guys ever done that? Yelled and cussed and prayed at the same time. It's, it's an interesting moment. Um, but in that moment, I tell you, I, I promise you, I felt alive in that moment. All these, these experiences, these four experiences I just shared with you, each one I remember so vividly. I remember it like it was yesterday. Why? Because those are moments in my life when I felt more alive than I've ever felt before in my life. And tonight we're going to look at, if you haven't seen on the screen, this idea of I am alive. The series that we've been going through, we've been looking at, at Jesus' statements of I am, and we've been looking at the book of John, and we've been looking at who Jesus says he is, and then out of who he says he is, who we are, and who we can say that we are. And tonight we're going to look at the fact that I am alive. I am alive. The text that we're looking at is John 14. And Jesus has been, been hanging out with his disciples and he's actually getting ready to go die. And he's telling them about this, that he's about to go to his death. And he drops this bomb on him. Jesus said to him, said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is an incredibly bold statement. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. And when he says that no one comes to the Father, he's saying nobody experiences real life. No one experiences the realness, the full reality of what life is unless they come through me. That's an, that's an incredibly bold statement that Jesus makes there. And we're going to unpack this statement a little bit and look at, at another story that I think really, really answers a lot of the questions that we see. Oh, not yet. That's right. That really answers a lot of the questions that we see. Uh, arise from this statement that Jesus makes. Before we get going, um, I just want to say that, that as we interact with Jesus, we, we are unashamed of the fact that we believe in Jesus. We believe that he offers you life and life to the full. We believe that he is our savior. But the reality is there's probably lots of you out there that, that don't believe this, that are curious about this, whether you are here in this room or listening online or whatever it may be, you might not be at a place where, where you are ready to say, you know what, Jesus is my savior. Jesus is the one that I ride with. And, and the reality is you are welcome to the table too. We are welcome to the conversation. We believe that, that the reality of Jesus transcends what you believe, transcends uh, where you're from, transcends what you look like, transcends what you did last night, transcends what you did last week. Jesus loves you no matter who you are, where you're at. And we're going to talk about the reality of the fact that Jesus is so about you that you have the opportunity to experience real life. I know that the religion of Christianity has burned lots of people. And I know that at times it can feel like the religion of Christianity is a you versus us thing. And the reality is probably at times it has been. And for that, I am so sorry. I am so sorry if that's been your experience. 
But I promise you that Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is not about us versus them. Jesus is about us. Jesus is about you. Jesus is about you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've experienced, whatever you believe, Jesus is for you. And we're gonna take a look at that Jesus and get to know him a little bit more tonight. Sound good? You with me? I need a little more interaction. I need some, some life. We're talking about being alive. Let's be alive tonight. All right, before we get going, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna get into things. Father God, I thank you so much that we get to be here. I thank you so much that we get to, uh, we get to sing songs of praise, that we get to interact in community, God. I thank you that you are with us, that your presence is here, Jesus. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us, God. I pray that tonight we would come to know you a little bit more. God, and that as we come to know you a little bit more, we will step into this fullness, this real life that you have for us, God. Jesus, I pray right now that your spirit's upon me. Whatever, whatever is from me, God, I pray will be forgotten. And whatever is from you, God, I pray it would be imprinted on our hearts. That we'd be so alive tonight that we would not be able to forget it. Jesus, meet us here in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I am so excited about this story. It's one of my favorite favorite stories. If you, um, if you didn't notice, a lot of the, the experience that I talked about with, with, with being alive, uh, they weren't all good moments, right? You track that? They weren't all these moments that we look at and say, they weren't all, like I would, the way I like to say is they weren't all cupcakes and lollipops, okay? We, the, the, the times that I have felt alive, the most alive in my life, is not, the t- is not always the times that it's the best things in the world that are happening to me. And I, I want to argue that when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, when he makes that argument, when he says that, um, and as we're going to impact in the stories that we're going to look at tonight, he, when he looks at the opposite of life, I don't think that the opposite of life to Jesus is death, this physical death that we think of. I think the opposite of life to Jesus is giving up, is being apathetic, is not engaging. And we're going to look into that in the story we read tonight. Uh, and part of why... I have come to accept this as, as truth is I look at my own life and, and the times where I've experienced the most life, um, like I said, aren't always the good times. And the times where I have felt the most unalive or the most dead, if you would, if you, uh, if you will, is probably the times I felt the most emotionless. And that's when I've checked out. That's when I have stopped feeling. That's when I've actively stepped in and said, mm, I don't like the way I feel, so I'm going to back away from that. It's when I, uh, I binge watch a show on Netflix for eight hours on a day and check out. And then I look back and I'm like, whoa, it's been eight hours. What the heck happened? And I love TV and I love movies, but that can be a way to escape our feelings. Am I right? Am I the only one that does that? I don't think so. And, and that's, that's when we escape. When I escape into that, I don't think that's really living. I think there's times where it's okay to binge on TV. Uh, but I, but honestly, if it's a way that we escape our feelings, I don't think Jesus likes that. And I don't think you should like that either. The other times that I check out is when I get too caught up into work. I can totally get involved in work, which is a good thing. I love my job. I love that I get to hang out with y'all. I love that I get to interact with the team that I interact with. I love my job. That's been, I've been saying that for the last month a lot, that I love my job. It's true. That's why I'm skipping the Lauren Hill concert. <laughs> but 
When I get so caught up in my job, get so caught up in work because I don't want to have the difficult conversations with my family, I don't want to have the difficult conversations with my girlfriend, I don't want to have the difficult conversations with my friends, the stress of it all is too much, so I go and get myself all caught up in work so that I don't have to deal with the messy emotions that come with the rest of life, that's checking out. That's not good. You tracking? I would say that is a spiritual form of death. And then this is, this is the one where I, I, the time that I most tangibly have felt the most unalive was my senior year of high school. Uh, high school for me, I moved to Oregon. Um, when I started high school from Toronto, it was a big change, big transition, and I started living a double life. That's another story for another time. We can talk about it if you want to. I'm happy to talk about it. But I was living a double life, and that all caught up to me the, the, the last week of my senior year of high school. And I was so just guilt-ridden with the way I was living that, you know what? I, I took senior year, I took full advantage of the last week of senior year and all the parties that were going on. And I, I went to bed drunk and woke up drunk for a week because I didn't want to feel the guilt. And you know the BS about it is that I, I tricked myself, I lied to myself that I was partying and living a good life. That, oh, no, it's a party, so it's all right. No, I just checking out. I didn't want to feel bad. So I stopped feeling anything at all. <laughs> Legitimately numbed my feelings for a whole week. I lost the last week of school my senior year because I checked out. Those are the times, those are the times that I, I feel the least alive. And the beauty of it, I promise you, the beauty of this is that Jesus is all about new life, is all about resurrecting what is dead and bringing life from those places. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Okay, we're going to look at the story of this dude named Lazarus. Lazarus, I'm so excited. I love this story. If you do not know this story, let me give you a little background. Jesus has been roaming around Israel, and uh, he's been doing incredible miracles, creating this, this big following of people. People are starting to love him and, and follow him like Mike talked about. Last week, a lot of times people would follow Jesus for the things that he could do, but they weren't taking the time to really get to know him. Well, this guy Lazarus that we're going to talk about tonight, he took the time to get to know Jesus. And the guy that wrote this book, John, he is a cocky dude. He was a cocky dude. I know he was a cocky dude because he refers to himself as the person that Jesus loved throughout the book. Can you imagine if I just went up everywhere and I was like, I am the one that Jesus loves. Hi, that is me. This is quite the, the reality. And he is able to get away with it because he wrote the book. And um, the only time that he gives somebody else that distinction, that title, that they are someone that Jesus loved, is for Lazarus. So we know Jesus and Lazarus knew each other and were friends. And what happens is Lazarus gets ill. He gets sick and he dies. And Jesus is out of town. And, and he's called to from Lazarus' sisters to come to where they live uh, because Lazarus has died. And this is where we pick up the story. Martha is one of, Je- uh, of Lazarus' sisters. And she says this to Jesus when Jesus gets there. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though they may die, shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, I, I, I share this. There's a lot to unpack here. This could be its own sermon. But I share this right now to, 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 to go to that point that I made, that to Jesus, death is not the end. To Jesus, death is not the opposite of life. To Jesus, he brings life out of death. Death does not have the final say, physical or spiritual. Jesus overcomes it. Moving on. Jesus now is interacting with Lazarus' other sister, Mary. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds familiar. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to Jesus, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Again, we could do a whole sermon on this little chunk of scripture. But what we're going to focus on is the fact that Jesus was moved by what happened, the fact that he took time to come and see, to enter in to the brokenness, and the fact that Jesus wept with those that were mourning. We just read, literally just read, that, that Jesus does not think that death is the final answer, that he overcomes death, yet he has the ability to step into the reality of death and mourn and grieve and cry with us. If Jesus is our example, he does not run away from the mess of life. He steps into it, embraces it, and lives into it fully. Moving forward, Jesus was deeply moved again, and he came to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, covering up the opening. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. That seems like a valid reason to not open up the tomb. <laughs> to me, I don't know. She, but notice that she's making excuses. Ooh, seems familiar. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, the glory of God there, I think, I'm just going to go off on a tangent real quick. The glory of God, we can get caught up on that and think that, oh, God just wants our glory. That's so selfish. Oh, my gosh. Why does he always want, why does he always make it about him? Well, the reality is that God here, when it says the glory of God, uh, God is glorious. And when it says that we will see the glory of God, it's saying that we will experience his gloriousness. Not that we will go and give him glory but that we will enter into his presence and see that God is with us. So when we read that it says the glory of God, it's not saying, okay, uh, you're going to see something incredible. Now give praise to God. It's saying, no, come and see something incredible and realize and witness that God is right here with you. That's good stuff. You're right. <laughs> so he says, you will see, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to, him, said to them, to those around him, unbind him and let him go. Whew. Does anybody else think that's kind of a crazy story? I don't know, how many of you guys have actually seen someone raised from the dead? I tell you, so this is, I, I didn't think about telling this, but when I was actually in Haiti, um, I met this dude whose father actually was raised from the dead. Was, I, they told the story. It was crazy. He died. They were having a funeral procession for him. While they were having the funeral procession, uh, his father got there. He was out on a trip, got back, saw that his son died, prayed to God. While this kid is in, in the tomb, they're carrying him to the grave. They hear a sneeze from the grave open open up the grave dude pops out everyone's like what (laughs) this kid goes on to start the biggest revival in Haiti's history and now there's like four different churches that that kind of that kind of uh that kind of everyone goes to in Haiti and they're all started from his kids and the reality is, this is something that's really cool. I don't know what you believe about spiritual warfare or anything like this. I was not planning on telling this story. I don't know what you believe about spiritual warfare or anything like this. But there is, his, Haiti's history is that they made a deal with the devil in this, in the 1800s. And the deal with the devil is that they would be free from the oppression of the French. And for a hundred years, they would be a, a nation devoted to voodoo and the worship of Satan. That was the, that was the, the deal they made with the devil. The crazy thing is, this kid, when he gets resurrected, is a hundred years later from that time that they made that deal with the devil, and this huge, incredible revival happens in Haiti from this kid who's resurrected from the dead. Is that not crazy? That's crazy, right? I don't know. I wasn't planning on telling that story, but I think Jesus is doing something. He's about real life. That's a real life story. Okay. See the connections? It's wild. I love it. Um, I want to focus... I want to focus on four aspects of this story. There's so much. Like I said, there's so much we can unpack from this story. But there's four things that stuck out, stuck out to me as I, as I read through this that I think Jesus wants us to know tonight. And it's the four things that I think he wants to know about real life. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, and as the great American philosopher 50 Cent said, I may talk real fast, but if you listen real fast, I ain't don't got to slow down for you to catch up. <laughs> Look it up. He said it. Real life. Real life is not an absence of the hard things. It embraces the difficult parts of life for what they are. We see this when Jesus says, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He didn't run away from the difficult parts of life. He walked right into them, embraced them for what they are. Jesus did this. He walked right into it. I look at my life. The times where I have felt the least alive in my life is when the hard things happened, the difficult parts of life came up in my life, and I checked out. And I said, I do not want to embrace these emotions. They hurt too much. They are too difficult for me. I am overwhelmed. I am overcome. And I, I, I check out. I binge TV shows. I binge at work. In my case, I binge with alcohol in my past. I don't know if you're like me, but when difficult times come, sometimes it just seems easiest to numb away the pain. But what Jesus is saying here is if you want to experience real life, you cannot numb the pain. You need to embrace it. You need to embrace the pain. The next thing 
Real life does not live in the past. It lives in the present, in the reality of the past, and the hopefulness of the future. We see this when Martha comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says that, and Mary says that. This is so interesting to me. They look to the past. They say, Jesus, where were you when this happened? Do you do that? I do that. I look back and I say, Jesus, this crappy thing happened. Where were you? Why were you not here? And Jesus is like, you know what? I, I, this happened. I hate it. He weeps with them. He grieves with them over the fact that it happened. And instead of sitting in the presence and looking forward to the future, to the reality that Jesus is redeeming, restoring, renewing, making new things, they look to the past and they complain and they argue and they get stuck in the past and they don't look to the fact that Jesus is with them right now. I do that. Do you do that? I I would take a bet that you do. It's a very human thing to do. But you know what? It's not only when we look and say, where's Jesus? A lot of times we can check out by looking back at nostalgia. And we look back and say, if only times where I miss, I miss the way things were in high school. Oh, I wish I was there again. If only I could get that feeling back. People are going to tell you that college is the best time of your life. It's a phenomenal time of life. And that, but then like that can make you think when you get out of college that, oh, I just want it to be like college again. The real world is too hard. Oh my gosh. The reality is that Jesus is not calling us to go backwards. He's not doing that. It's so interesting to me. This is something that the church does a lot. We say, uh, we're trying to be the church of uh, the early church from Acts, which is, you know what? Great, if we can be of that mindset. But I don't think Jesus is calling us to be the church to Acts because we are not, like the church in America is not in Rome in, in 2 AD. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's 2017. I think Jesus is calling us somewhere forward. It's something new. Can we learn from the past? Yes. But... Be in the present. Look to the future. Guys, I do this with my own faith. I look back to the times where I was closest to Jesus and I say, I need to recreate those moments. The reality is I'm not where I was at when I was 22 years old. (laughs) If I'm interacting with Jesus the same way at 28 as I did at 22, (sighs) I'm not growing. Jesus is calling us to live in the present, hopeful for the future, in reality of the past. The next thing, real life is not something that we acquire by our own strength. It is something that we are given and we must accept. This is one of the most difficult things in the world. Lazarus had no control of this situation. It's interesting that we make this story about Lazarus. We do, we call it Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, all this. He doesn't even say anything in the whole story. We show up and he's already dead. In the tomb, stinking. It's so interesting. Lazarus, we we find out that he was ill, but we don't get anything more than that with the story of how he died, which is so interesting to me. So Lazarus just becomes a product of his circumstances, which sucks. But you know what? Jesus doesn't say that, you know what? Because of your circumstances, I can't do anything with that. That's not the reality that Jesus is in. And so when Jesus gives this opportunity... For new life, he resurrects Lazarus. He yells at him with a loud voice, come out. And Lazarus probably had a choice in this moment. I might be reading into the text here a little much, but I have the microphone. Lazarus has the opportunity to either come out of the tomb or not. Who knows? I don't know what his life was like. It was probably difficult. There was probably things that were hard. He might have thought, 
I could just stay here and be done with it. I don't know. But he was given the opportunity for new life, for real life, and he stepped out of the tomb. That's pretty incredible. And finally, real life is not something that we do alone. It's done in community. The man who had died came out with his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped up in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, he said to them, he didn't say to Lazarus. He said to the people around Lazarus, his, his friends, his family, his community. He said, unbind him and let him go. We cannot go out and become alive on our own. We are carrying the grave clothes. We are carrying the things of our past. We are carrying the things that have caused us death and grief in our life over and over again. And we cannot strip those things on our own. Jesus resurrects us, brings us back to life. And then he tells us, the community, the people of God, the people of this world that he created, whether you, whether you believe in Jesus or not, I believe he created you and you have a part to play in this. You have the opportunity to walk with people and help them heal and take off the grave clothes because we can't do it on our own. We can't. So guys, these are, these are the four things that I think uh, really stand out to me about real life in this story. And the interesting thing to me throughout this story is while we have these four ways that we are called to, to engage in real life, we have to do just that. Martha and Mary and all those people around and even Lazarus, they had to engage with what was going on. They did not check out. And look at this. This is, this is really key. Mary and Martha both looked for ways to check out. They looked to the past. They said, Jesus, if you had only been here. They looked to the past. But what did Jesus do? He said, no, 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 no. Be focused right here right now with me. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's grieve this. Let's actually engage with the grief and let's walk forward together. You tracking? This is, this is what, this is what we are called to do. This is our place in this story of life. We are called to engage, to not check out. We have been given the opportunity of real life. And Jesus calls us to engage. I have this, I have this video that I would love to show. Um, we're coming to the conclusion of the talk. I promise uh, we are going to get there. I have this video that I think shows this really well. Uh, if you, uh, how many of you know who Jim Valvano is? Not a lot of people. I kind of anticipated that. There's a couple of people. Uh, Jim Valvano was a basketball coach in the 80s. He won this most, most incredible, improbable national championship. Team was a huge underdog, beat uh, one of the best teams, college basketball teams in history. Jim Valvano, that set him on the national stage. Well, a couple years later, he came down with this incredibly rare form of cancer that started debilitating his body and started eating away at who he was. And it started uh, to kill him. Slowly. And, and, and ESPN has this award show called the ESPYs. And every year they honor somebody uh, who's making an incredible difference in the world. And they chose Jim Valvano. And Jim Valvano gave this incredible speech that we are still talking about 20 or so more years later. Because he gave this speech that called us to life. Called us to really live. And called us to do something. And I would love to watch this, this clip and see what Jim Valvano has to say about real life. Uh, I can't tell you what an honor it is to even be mentioned the same breath with an author ash and I also I don't have one of those things going to cue cards so I'm going to speak longer than anybody else has spoken tonight 
That, that's the way it goes. Time, time is very precious to me. I don't know how much I have left, and I have some things that I would like to say. Hopefully, at the end, I'll have something that will be uh, important to, uh, to other people, too. But I can't help it. Now when I'm fighting cancer, everybody knows that. Uh, and people ask me all the time about how you, you go through your life and how's your day. And nothing has changed for me. I'm a very emotional, passionate man. I can't help it. That's being the son of Rocco and Angelina Valvano. That just comes with the territory, right? We hug, we kiss, we love. And, and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or, or each day is the same thing. To me, there are three things we all should do every day. If we do this every day of our life, you're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. I know I've got to go. I've, I've got to go, and I've got one last thing. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind. It cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. And those three things are going to carry on forever. I thank you, and God bless you all. Jimmy V died two months later after giving that speech. But I don't think any one of you in this room or anyone that was in that audience or anyone that's seen that speech could argue that he was not living a full life. That dude embraced life. He could have checked out. He could have checked out, but he didn't. He didn't. He gave us these incredible things to look at, to, to laugh, to think, and to cry every day. That would be a pretty good day. It's interesting that, that Jim Valvano suffered from cancer. Uh, because as I was going through this talk, the, the thing that kept coming up is that when we numb ourselves, when we numb ourselves to the bad things in life, to the difficult things in life, uh, it's a lot like giving ourselves chemotherapy. And last week, Mike talked about his mom's battle with breast cancer and that she had to go un undergo uh, different treatments and things like that. And cancer's afflicted my family a ton. And I see the effect that chemotherapy has on cancer. And you know what chemotherapy does? Chemotherapy enters into your body and it kills all the bad and dangerous cells. But what it also does is it kills all the good cells. And so sometimes, a lot of times, in this world that we live in, the best solution we have to cancer is to just obliterate everything in the area and take out the good with the bad. Sometimes that's our only option physically. But man alive, why do we do that with our souls and our spirits and our minds? Chemotherapy is a temporary, a temporary solution to a bigger problem. 
And when we numb ourselves with alcohol, with drugs, with partying, with, with community, with, with binge watching TV shows, with schoolwork, when we, when we numb ourselves to, when we take things to take us out of the reality of the mess of life and, and to try and just numb the bad things, we also numb the good things. That's just the reality. It's not a yin and yang situation. It's not just that, well, good things happen because bad things happen, and bad things happen because good things happen. No, the reality is we live in a crazy, messed up world, and good things and bad things happen. Jesus calls us to embrace and engage in all those good things. My mom also had cancer, colon cancer. And we were lucky enough, blessed enough, whatever your theology is in that, that we were able to remove the whole tumor. And when we removed the tumor, we were able to have a permanent solution to the problem, not just a temporary one. Jesus calls us to full life, not just these temporary solutions to painful situations. Guys, this is what I believe Jesus has for us, not just tonight, but every day of our lives. Wherever you might be at tonight, whatever you might have done this past weekend, last night, this past summer, in your whole life, who knows, wherever you're at, I'm going to ask you, engage with Jesus. Engage with your past. Engage with your present. Seek out Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, tonight, Jesus is calling to you to come alive and walk out of the tomb. What's your tomb? What's your grave? What's your death that you are experiencing? Maybe Jesus is calling you to step out of that. If you feel that he is, we have people that want to pray with you because that's the next step. As soon as we answer that call, as soon as we, like Lazarus, raise, raise up from that place, you need a community around you to walk with you and take off the grave clothes with you. Because we can't, think about if Lazarus just got up and started walking around in grave clothes. That's no way to live. Jesus is calling you. He's, he's, he's promised you life. He's done the work of, of, of promising you life, of giving you life. He, he has given you life. What we're asking of you is to hear the call. Not check out, but engage with it. And my hope, my, my real hope and my real prayer is that if it's not this community, some other community, but hopefully this community would be the people that would help you take off the grave clothes and walk forward into real life with Jesus. Sound good? Appreciate y'all. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you that you have called us into real life. Thank you that you love us just where we're at, but you love us so much that you, you love us into a greater existence, into a future, that you love us and help us to move forward with life. God, wherever we are at tonight, God, whatever we are experiencing, God, I pray that we would know the reality that you're with us, that you're for us, and that you have more and real and full life for us, God. Help us to hear that call. Help us to engage. And God, help us as a community to walk around with each other in the mess.
pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.